got turned upside down. And we found out we had to face things we didn't expect to face and things that we expected to be able to do we weren't able to do. And we discovered that 2021 was full of all kinds of uncertainty. And then we talked about the fact that there's really nothing new about that. We don't know the future. So every year, every day is filled with uncertainty because we don't know what's coming next. We assume certain things because they've always happened, but the Bible says you have no guarantee it's going to happen again. And so as we come into 2021, hopefully we are more aware that there is uncertainty in this year. And many of us were hoping and are hoping and still do hope that we got 2021 behind, 20 behind us, but we're facing 2021 and we don't know what it holds. So we talked last week about how do you navigate? God doesn't just leave us abandoned and say like the deist used to believe, well, I started this all, I'm sitting in heaven, and I'm waiting to see how well you do. No, God, the Bible tells us just the opposite. God wants to be more involved in your life every day, leading and guiding you and strengthening than you can ever begin to imagine. So how, how, if God's not left us in this situation, there must be a way that He has provided for us to, as I termed it, navigate this year through the uncertainties. Well, today we're going to begin to talk about that, because there are some certainties in the Bible, and we referred to some of them last week. And this is something that we're going to talk about today, that, that if, you've ever, if you've been here very long, in fact, when you pick up anything from this church, you're going to see what it is, because the name of this church is Faith Christian Center. Now, there was a... There was a, 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 a a trend in vogue, and it may still be in vogue, for, for churches to kind of rebrand themselves and use, you know, cute names like Elevation and all kinds of common names to make it sound not so religious. And, and I've thought about that for a while, but I'm thinking, what, what's wrong with faith, Christian, and a center where people can come to grow and mature? So unless God had told me to do something else, I didn't move it. And that's the way I've always operated it. So we're going to talk today about learning to walk by faith. Because that's the only way you can navigate through uncertainty. So to do that, let's, let's talk about, we're going to look at Paul. Paul is a great example. I used to think that the Apostle Paul was some great, powerful personality and therefore, you know, I could never aspire to be like the Apostle Paul until I began to read some scriptures and found out just how, how human he was. And, and he is one of the heroes of faith that's in the Bible to encourage us. Because of all of these men and women in the Bible were just perfect. They never messed up. They were super strong. None of us are like that. So we would look at them and it could be very discouraging. Well, that's great for them, but, but there's no way I can ever get there. But we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and the, the whole letter starts out by Paul talking about how he came to a place where he despaired even of his own life. I mean, he counted to the place. This is the Apostle Paul. Brought the gospel through most of the, of, the, of the civilized world at the time, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and went through amazing things. But he came to times in his life when it said he despaired even of his life. I don't know if you've ever gotten there, but most of us have been tempted to think... <laughs> I don't think I can make it. And that's where Paul was. And there's several places where he says things like that. But he did overcome. He did finish. And the Bible talks about it in a number of places. 
we've spoken of some of them, where Jesus talks about how critical it is that we learn to overcome. Because the rewards and the blessings are for those who overcome. And we're going to look today, there's a reference to what happens if you don't overcome, but God has made provision for you so that you can overcome. So we're going to pick up in part of his discussion here. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse uh, 6. And we'll skip around a little bit. And uh, for it is God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. This Paul's referring here to who this God is that lives on the inside of us. He is the God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. That's referring to the fact that God created everything. All of this natural realm that exists from the extent of the, 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 the limitless extent of the universe, the galaxies of galaxies of galaxies that are hundreds and thousands and millions of light years out there and still growing and expanding all the way down to the tiniest proton and neutron that makes up an atom that makes up a cell of your body. All of this God created with words. And that's the God who lives inside of you. That's the God who says, come to me and ask of me and see if I won't answer your prayers. That's the God who lives inside of you now, sitting there, trying to stay awake. (laughs) Some of you fighting fear and discouragement. This is the God who lives inside of you right now. Now, wherever you are online, He's inside of you, if you're a Christian, right now, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Next verse says, But for, but we have this treasure, this glory of God in earthen vessels. He's referring to your body. So the glory of God, the power of God, the life of God exists in a house that you got dressed up this morning and that you spent so much time worrying over your hair and getting your makeup on, ladies, I assume, and, 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 and getting your, 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 your earthen vessel here. And most of the struggle we have, most, and this is what we're going to talk about, most of your experience of life is your experience of and through this earthen vessel. But that's not who you are. You are not that body. You are not your flesh. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's referring to the fact that they're, that they're sometimes it's called, they call them clay vessels. That, that earthen clay things, they, they can look nice, but they're fragile. They can crack if they're dropped, if they get too hot or too cold. And if you shine a light in them, if there's any cracks in there, the light will shine out through them. And God wants to shine His light out through your cracks. We're just a bunch of cracked pots, <laughs> some people say. <laughs> oh, somebody said, yeah, that's what they've been calling me for a long time. Okay, that's... Not- Why? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Most of us are struggling because we're trying to do things for God instead of allowing God to do things through 
us. We're trying to do things for Him, and we get the glory when we do that. And God will share His glory with no man. But when we allow God to work through our earthen vessels, He gets the glory, and that becomes a testimony to others of how God will work in their earthen vessel, their weaknesses, their fragileness. So, now, all of the things we're going to look at that Paul went through, he went through while he was in the middle of God's will. Sometimes we think, well, this is all happening because I must be out of God's will because this trouble's happening to me. If you are out of God's will, you will expose yourself to trouble. But just because you're going through trouble, just because we're going through trouble right now, doesn't mean we're out of God's will. The disciples went through several terrible storms crossing from one side of the, of, the, of the Sea of Galilee to the other, and in each case they were going where God told them to go, and in one of them He was in the boat with them. And they still went through trouble, but they went through it. Psalm 34 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of some of them. No, right, all of them. So that the surpassing excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So remember as we go through these, Paul went through these because he was doing God's will. We'll explain that a little bit in the middle. So, so let's go, let's get into verse 6. I'm sorry, uh, let's go to verse 7. We're all there, aren't we? Let's go to verse 8 then. We'll get there. I'm going to read down through this and then we're going to break it down. For we are hard-pressed. Anybody feeling hard-pressed today? On every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Let's go, let's go through that a little bit, because there's four things he talks about he was actually experiencing. These are things he was experiencing and going through. And see if you can relate to any of these at all. So the first thing was, go back to verse 8. Hard pressed on every side. I don't know about you, but I've gone through times lately where it seems like you've got a problem coming at you over here, and then about the time you're dealing with that, there's a problem coming at you over here. And especially if you're a pastor in ministry, because it's not just my problems, it's yours. And then this comes at me, and then this comes at me, and then you find out somebody you were counting on can't be there, or somebody you were counting on left to do something else. And all of this feels... Now listen, what Paul was feeling this. Remember he said this is an earthen vessel. So he, Paul was a real person who went through real emotions. These are emotional terms. Hard-pressed. Hard-pressed. Not just, oh, we're dealing with a little difficulty. Hard-pressed means it feels as if it's going to collapse you. It feels as if you're going to collapse under the pressure. The next thing he talks about is he was perplexed. That means he didn't understand what was going on. My goodness, if you look at the world today, 
I've had more conversations with people in this church say, what in the world? What, what is going on? We don't understand what's going on. Well, we're not the first people to be in a situation where we look around us and say, I don't understand what's happening. Paul said, I'm perplexed. I don't understand what's going on. Gets better. Verse 9. Persecuted. Now, we're not experiencing a lot of that, although some of us are, but there are people in the body of Christ right now that are being very definitely persecuted for their faith. Threatened with their lives if they come together. Threatened with their lives if they mention the name of Jesus, if they do what we're put here to do. Persecuted. And then finally, the final thing is, through all of that, I was struck down. He doesn't say what it was that struck him down. We do know it wasn't sickness and disease, but he was struck down. Now, those were the experiences he had. But I want to go back and look at what the outcome was. So go back to verse 8. So when he was hard-pressed on every side, but he was not crushed. See, we're going to see a comparison here. But seeing what he was experiencing... And all of these were aimed to destroy him and keep him from finishing what God had put him here to do. That was the purpose of all of this that came against him. So each of these four things he experienced had had that as its purpose. But we're going to see, but the end result was they didn't work. So although he was hard-pressed on every side, he felt the pressure. He felt as if it were going to crush him, but he wasn't crushed. See, we're going to learn today you can't go by how you feel. It may feel as if you're going to be crushed, but we're going to learn how to not be crushed. He was perplexed. He didn't understand what was going on. And that's okay because we don't need to understand. We looked last week about walking through uncertainty. And I read a quote from Martin Luther that we're called to step out. Jesus just said, follow me. He didn't say you had to understand where you were going. In fact, when we try to understand where we're going, we usually stop following Him and start following ourselves. We start leaning to our own understanding and not trusting Him. But here's the danger. If you, if you just hang on to the perplexed, you will end up in despair because you become despair is hopeless. I don't know what's going on, so I'm just going to quit. It's all over with. I don't know what's going on. So don't go from perplexed to despair. Because if you don't learn to do what we're going to talk about today, you may end up in despair, and that means you're defeated. Verse 9, the third thing. He was persecuted. When you're persecuted, you feel alone. You feel as if, as if there's, you've been personally attacked and separated from everybody else and that makes you feel alone. But he said, even though I felt that way, I know I wasn't forsaken. I wasn't alone. The only one that was ever forsaken was Jesus on the cross. Remember when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken because Jesus was bearing everything that separated you from God. He bore your forsakenness on Himself so that you will never be forsaken. Okay, now, 
Hopefully, or maybe hope not hopefully, you relate to some of these. Let's go quickly to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22, because we're going to go through here quickly, and I'm just going to read down, just so you get an idea of what Paul was dealing with. It's a good thing to go through this if you're, if you're really thinking you're having a bad day. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? So are. In labors, this is the list of what he went through. In labors more abundant, in stripes, that's referring to his being scourged like Jesus was, with what's called a mastigo. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. You realize most of the letters Paul wrote that we love and read, he wrote while he was in jail. In deaths, that means threatened with death. Verse 24. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. The Jews' way of punishment was with, a, was with, with the same thing Jesus got. It was with uh, a laugh, uh, the, the whips. And they, they, would, they, would, they figured 50 of them would kill you, so they went one short. Five times, he in, in, five times he endured that. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And if you look at the book of Acts, he was stoned and they thought he was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, just, just floating in the water with other things swimming by him. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Verse 27. In weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings, in cold, in nakedness. You feel a little better about what you're dealing with? Verse 28. Besides all these things comes upon me daily the concerns for the churches, whether they're going to fall away or not. Paul dealt with some serious issues. We're not going to go there, but in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he tells you where they came from. This was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, to push up. The word buffet means to push up against to, to keep pressing back at it, keep after it, keep after on all sides so that he would feel crushed, so he would feel forsaken, so he would feel in despair, so he would let go of the commission of the faith he had in Christ and quit and give up. But he didn't. He didn't. Now we're faced with circumstances that can make us feel the same way. And they're also caused by messengers of Satan to try to suppress us, to keep us from doing what we're here to do and saying what we're here to say. So we need to learn from Paul how he overcame so that he was not crushed in despair, forsaken, or destroyed. So we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians 4 and we're going to look at what he says here as we go to 16. We're going to have to jump around a little bit for the sake of time. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. It's so important that whatever you're facing, whatever things are going on, whatever we face in the future, that we do not lose heart. Proverbs 4, 23 says, guard your heart 
with all diligence. Why? Because out of it flow the issues or the forces of life. Faith, love, all of the forces that have any power over your life and other people's flow out of your heart. Love flows out of the heart. Faith flows out of the heart. Grace flows out of the heart. So if you're feeding into your heart the seeds that will produce that fruit, then you're going to have the life of God flowing out of your heart. But Satan understands that. He's trying to sow in your heart fear. He's trying to sow in your heart anger and hatred. He's trying to sow in your heart seeds of discouragement because they are spiritual forces also. But in order to work, they have to flow out of your heart. So guard your heart. It's like a garden. Weed your heart. Guard your heart because out of it flow the forces of life or death that will either help you to get through or will help Satan to destroy you. We're not at a time where we can play around anymore. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And so to understand what we're talking about, you need to understand the difference between what Paul talks about as your outer man and your inner man. We just looked at it. He refers to your outer man as, your, as this earthen vessel. It's your body. But it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the part of you that you're the most aware of. It's your body, which is constantly talking to you. Right now, your body's trying to communicate with the real you. So is mine. Mine's talking to me right now. Trying to do something to mess around with my head right now. Your body, you're far more aware of your body than you realize. And that's your outer man. Some people call it your earth suit. You need one of those to be living in this world because this is a natural material world. God, probably the next lesson, I'll break this down a little more. But when God created this world, this universe, it's natural, physical universe. And you can tell it because your five senses are what detects it. So if you can see it, feel it, hear it, taste it, or touch it, it's of this natural material realm. And so obviously your body is, it's the part of you, God made it out of the dust of the earth. So he made your body out of the substance of this natural material earth. That's why when you're done with it, it goes back into the earth. It becomes dust or dirt or ashes again to be raised up a new body, a different body on the resurrection day. But that's not the real you. The real you is a spirit being. God made man in three parts. Physical body, so that you can operate in this earth. He made you in His image. We're the only being God created in His image. That means you are a spirit being. The angels are spirit beings. God is a spirit. John 4.24 Jesus talking to the woman at the well explained to her they were talking about worship and he said well you know you folks don't know where to worship the Jews they know where to worship but they don't get it right but my father's longing for true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth because God is a spirit. So God made you a spirit being And then He gave you a soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's the part of you that bridges the gap between your spirit and your flesh. 
And your spirit and your soul are the part of you that's eternal. That's the real you on the inside of you. But the problem is most of us have lived our lives almost totally unconscious of the spirit being that's on the inside of us, the eternal part of us. And we live our lives so focused on and thought, thinking about and, and, and invested our lives in this physical, natural, material realm. We talked a little bit about that last week because that's the realm that gets shaken. That's the realm that's uncertain. You don't know tomorrow whether anything you have will be there when you get up tomorrow. We don't know that. But what we do know is you'll still be a spirit being. What you do know is God will still be living in you. What we do know is God's word, which is spirit and its life, is still the truth. So what we have to learn to do is to learn to live our lives more and more conscious of the spirit that's on the inside of us. Because when we started out talking about the God that created the universe lives on the inside of you, but he's a spirit being. And he lives on you through the Holy Spirit. And there are many, many times when we've gotten in trouble or we've made mistakes and the God that's on the inside of us tried to help us and because we were oblivious to Him, He couldn't help us. Many times when we've gotten in trouble and we're desperate and we want to get call for help, instead of going to the one that lives on the inside of us who has every answer and can do everything, we turn to every other means out there because you see, that doesn't require faith to do that. And when we, when, we, when, we, when we do that, we don't have to trust in, in God to do that. We're trusting in myself. I'm trusting in you. Oh, my God, help me, please. We, and that's why we say, my God, help me, but we don't turn to him. <laughs> God loves us. He wants to help us and strengthen us. So when Paul talks here about do not lose heart, for though this outer man, this body is perishing, I've got news for you. You're going to die. I've struggled all my life with the fear of death. And God's just getting through me. He says, John, you're going to die. Settle it. Not me, not the real me, but this body will die one way or the other. Either Jesus comes back, and this, I'll leave it here and go up with him, or this body, I leave my body and go to be with him, and this body stays here until he comes back for it. But you're going to, to settle that. You are going to die. Right? And that's actually good news because only four of you laugh, that's why we're talking about this. <laughs> but the inner man is being renewed or getting strengthened day by day. I hope your inner man's getting stronger and stronger. And this was Paul's perspective. For this light affliction, affliction <laughs> this light affliction is but for a moment. He's comparing two things. He's talking about all this trouble we just read through that he was going through. He's calling it light and temporary. It's earning for us, working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So Paul's saying, we need to have God's perspective on what you're going through. All this stuff you're experiencing in light of eternity is 
fact, the Bible says your whole life is a hand's breadth compared to eternity. I've shared, with, I've shared with you from time to time that when I hit certain ages, the certain milestones, you know, 50 shook me because I figured I was always going to stay young. That's the deception you young people have, which we've all gone through. And 50 kind of looked, oh, my middle age, my father, I think, had died that year. It was like signs that I was going to get old hit me, and I began to get afraid, and God helped me through that. So as I, as I snuck up on 60, I figured I better do some preparation for that. So I kind of went through 60, okay. And now I'm looking at 70, and it's like, oh. So I began to talk to God about it, and that was five years ago. And God said, I want you to look at your life as an assignment, not as an age. Look at your life as an assignment, not as your... And that's what Paul's talking about here. For this life that you're living, that we get so invested in, is, it's momentary. And compared to the real life, it's light. So the affliction that you're going through is so grievous it looks like it's going to destroy us because we're experiencing it through this body, this natural life, and it looks like it's threatening the end of everything. But if you die today, that's not the end of everything. That's the beginning of your walk and life eternally in the presence with God. Paul got to this place so much that he says in the first chapter of Philippians, I'm really caught in this dilemma. Whether to stay here in this life and continue to minister to you or to just fold up this tent and to move on and to go to be with the Lord. And I don't think Paul was writing this as some theological concept. Paul was really struggling with this under this pressure. Oh, it would be so tempting. I just want to be with the Lord to leave this mess behind and go on to be with Him. But he said, for your sake... I will stay here to come to the place where we hold on to this life so lightly. That's what threatens the devil because Hebrews 2 says the only hold he has on you is the fear of death. It says the fear of death is the root of all bondage. The fear of death. First John says that the Love of God, perfected love, casts that fear out because fear is based on the fear of judgment. What's going to happen afterwards? But when you know how much God loves you, when you know who's living on the inside of you, that will overcome that fear. We've got to go on. So Paul says, it's, it's light, whatever I'm going through, compared to why I'm doing this. See, what kept Paul going was his eyes were not on what he was going through. His eyes were on why he was going through this and what the hope was that was set before him. For this light affliction, is, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we look, this is the key, this is how you do it. We look. That doesn't mean just with these two eyes in your head. That means with the eyes of your heart. That's why Proverbs 4 says, 20, verse 20 and 21, My son, attend to my words. Attend to my words. That's an intentional gazing 
upon at all times. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. That doesn't mean playing it in the background. That means you purposely are listening with all your attention to his words. Let them not depart from your eyes, but keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, (laughs) and their health, their medicine, it says, to all your body. God's word in your heart is divine medicine for your body. And yet we'll dutifully take the doctor's prescription. He says, I'm supposed to take this four times a day. Oh dear, did I, I forgot. The, oh no, I didn't forget. The, and we'll mark it out. There are even apps that remind you to take your pills. We'll be dutiful for that because we have faith that the pills are going to work even though 90% of us don't understand how. And yet we, by faith, take the pill because we have faith in the doctor's word and thank God for the doctor's because most of us will be dead if it weren't for them. God uses doctors. We've got some wonderful doctors here in this body. But that's not where you have to look. We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Now, I understand how you can look not at things that are seen. Everybody look at me for a second. Ready? On the count of three, close your eyes. One, two, make sure you're going to open them again. One, two, three. Close your eyes. You are now not looking at things that are seen. Now open your eyes. Now you're looking at things that are seen. Okay, I got that. But he goes on to say, we don't look at the things that are seen, but we're to look at the things that are not seen. How do you do that? Because he's not talking about the seeing that you just changed by closing your eyes. He's talking about what you look with the inner eyes. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about God opened the eyes of our understanding that we may see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. Open the eyes, the inner eyes. This inner man of you sees things, hears things, experiences things. So we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, They're not going to last. Whatever your body's going through right now, whatever you're experiencing from this world, whatever we're going through in this world right now, won't last. It's temporary. It won't last. But you are part of a kingdom. There's a kingdom living inside of you that is eternal. It'd be a good idea every once in a while to just weigh in your mind the difference between temporary and eternal. Notice he doesn't say the things that are seen are temporary and the things that are not seen are a lot longer. No, eternal means it has no end. So we're living this life, this temporary life, overcoming temporary obstacles, but how we do that is determining something that we're going to live in for eternity. He contrasts the lightness of this life with the weightiness of the glory of God. Elsewhere, we won't get a chance to go there. In in Hebrews, it talks about that they lived in tents. If you go into chapter 5, he talks about, he refers to his body as this tent. Well, a tent is a temporary place you sleep in. It has no foundation, and it can be moved easily. But, But it's 
But God's prepared for us a building. Now, the Bible talks about mansions. I don't believe that there's a 15-story, 15-room mansion waiting for me. It's a dwelling place. But it's eternal. It has substance to us, far more substance than the tent that I'm living in right now. And Paul went through all those things that made him feel like he was going to be crushed, that made him feel like he was going to be, uh, that he was being per- persecuted, that made him feel like, like he was uh, going to wants to give up. All those things, Paul got through them because his eyes were not on what he was going through. His eyes were on what he was headed towards. I can't believe that all the people that prepare for the Olympics, whether it's the skating or the, or the running in the, in the Summer Olympics, that these people that have to get up, or especially the skaters, they've got to get up and go out often in, in the middle of the night when all of us are asleep so that they can practice. In fact, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, they do all this to, re- to win, in those days it was a laurel wreath. In our case, it may be a medal that they wear, silver, gold, or bronze. He says, they do it. They get up every morning and they're disciplined because their eyes are not on the pain they're going through. Their eyes are not on the sacrifice that they're making. Their eyes are not on the penalty that they're paying. Their eyes are not the fact that while they're out practicing in that rink at four in the morning when all the rest of us are nice and warm, curled up in our bed, they have to do this. They're doing it because their eyes are on something. Their eyes are not on what they're going through. Their eyes are on the prize that only, Paul says, only one or two are going to get. So they're doing it with the hope that they'll be one of those top three that gets the award. But Paul says every one of us can get the gold medal. Every one of us can win the crown and the prize. We're not competing with one another. We're competing with Satan trying to stop us and discourage us so that we feel forsaken, so that we feel crushed, so that we feel all those things that Paul did not end up doing even though he felt as if he were headed that way. So how, how, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this? Let's go over to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the next page. I'm just going to read you a scripture and then we'll go quickly somewhere else because I'm going to skip over some things. He's talking about dealing with leaving this life. We're going to go down to verse 6. For we're always confident knowing that while we're at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now first of all, he's not talking about how you drive home today. Exercise your faith, but also use your sight. Don't pull out on 195 by faith. Close your eyes and say, Pastor John said I'm to go by faith. No. When it comes to dealing with functioning in this life, use your five senses. But when it comes to things of the kingdom of God, we cannot walk by what our senses tell us. Because your senses will lie to you. And they're doing it already. So we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's, let's think a little bit. What, what does this mean to walk Walk by something. Well, you've all come in here by walking. So by walking, you got from one destination to another. From walking, you got to your car, to your seat. So you put, this is real simple stuff, okay? So make sure you take detailed notes. You did it by putting one foot in front of the other. 
you had to trust two things. You had to trust that where your right foot was going was in the direction that would get you where you wanted to go. And then you had to trust that when you put your right foot out, the ground or this floor was going to hold you up. Because if you weren't sure about that, you wouldn't have put it out there. You ever, ever get up in the morning and you're going to go out, maybe your car's parked outside, and you're going to go outside. We have to do this. We have a garage and our car's in the garage. But we have a little four-legged bean, Molly, 6.9 pounds of energy, waiting all night to go out there in the morning. And, and, and when I open the door or Anita opens the door, she wants to go, Phew! well, she's a little less than seven pounds. She, can walk, she walks on the top of snow. She's so light. I don't. I'm not 6.9 pounds. Right? So uh, when I go out there, when I know that it's been wet at night and it's below freezing, I don't just walk out like this. I did that once years ago. I went out of the door of our house. We lived in outside of Boston. And I learned a lesson. Look before you walk if you're not sure. Because I took that first step and the next, the right foot, I ended up seeing facing the ceiling. So when you're not sure that you can trust where that step is going, what do you do? You, 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 you're careful. So... When we walk, we have to trust what we're stepping out on. And the way we're designed, we will not step out boldly on something that we're not certain will be there and hold us up regardless of what's going on. And so Paul is telling us to navigate through the uncertainty, to navigate through the buffeting that Satan brings against us, to navigate through all these challenges. We cannot walk by our sight. Walk it out of your front door tomorrow if it snowed, walk by sight. But when it comes to navigating spiritual things, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Let's go to Hebrews quickly because we're running out of time. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. That's right where I put the marker. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, that's what Satan's after, because it has a great reward. And you need endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live, just another way of saying walking, by faith. But if anyone draws back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those, are we, who draw back to destruction, perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So you've got to finish not just start. Now, he's going to explain this, and we'll break this down more later on. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, Hebrews 11.1, 1, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance. Let's take just a moment to explain this, and then we'll go on. When you walk by sight, 
When you walk out in the morning and there's a potential for black ice, when you walk by sight, okay, you're going to make sure that whatever you stand on has substance so that you know it's there. If you're not sure, you're going to stay back. So the fact that you can feel that under you right now means you have confidence that it is really there. When you came here this morning and you sat down, you exercised tremendous faith in your senses because you trusted all your weight and your blessed assurance to that gray chair. Why? Because you could see it. And seeing it gave you confirmation that it had substance enough for you to trust your weight to it. Basic common sense stuff. But faith is what gives us that same confidence for spiritual things that our five senses can't confirm for us. So just as in the natural, natural things, your five senses confirm for you that it's really there, faith serves that same role when it comes to having the same confidence that God's really there inside of you, that God's Word will really come through to you. You can't do that by your senses, which is why you can't decide whether God answered your prayer by your five natural senses. So you ask God to heal your body, and then you go right away to check, well, I guess He didn't because I don't feel, and I don't feel, I don't feel any difference. Feeling is your five senses. You can't determine anything of the spirit realm by your five senses unless it's something supernatural. And it's the evidence. What is evidence? Evidence tells you something that's real and something about it. I have time to go into how it's used in court. When I was a lawyer, we had to use evidence. Evidence points to the truth of something, but it's not the thing itself. So faith provides evidence to us of things not seen. Things hoped for. So let's end with Hebrews 11.6 and then we'll close today. Without faith, without learning to walk by faith and not by sight, look at these words. This is God's words. It is impossible. Not hard. Not it's a difficulty, but you might be able to overcome it with a lot of work. No, it is impossible to please God. Why? Because God's impressed with faith? No. Because in order to do the things that please God, you must believe that He is. And that takes faith because you can't see Him. And that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. In other words, in order to please God, it says you must come to Him. But you won't come to Him, and that doesn't mean just getting saved. That means for all the issues of your life. In order to come to Him, in order to really turn to in a crisis, where's the first place you turn? What are the first things you say? That's where your confidence is. And then very often, after we've exhausted all of those and nothing seemed to work, we turn to the one who's been waiting all along, who has the answer and all the ability. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because in order to come to Him, to turn to Him, to rely on Him, to walk with Him, you must, there's no other possibility, you must believe that He's really there. 
It'll change your prayer life when you, I start my prayer time with him now. God, I know, I don't see you, but I know you're right here with me. I know your eyes are on me right now. And I know your ears are open to hear what I have to say. And I know that your heart is open to me. I know that. And I dwell on that till it becomes very real to me. And changes my prayer life. Comes with somebody's really there listening. I don't know what's going on here, but we're ending. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. He will answer your prayers. He hasn't told you to come and ask him just to disappoint you. So we'll begin to talk more about this as we go forward, learning how to walk by faith. But the goal of today is if you can just begin to recognize the person on the inside of me, the inner man, the real me on the inside, is not a physical being. This body of mine is not who I am. This life here is not my real life. My real life is there, and God has given His Spirit to live in me as a down payment. Some terms say the engagement ring, as a guarantee of what He's promised to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can trust in Your words. More real than the ground we walk on, more real than anything in this life we put our trust in. Your word, your presence, your love is infinitely more real. And we ask you to open the eyes of our understanding that we would see the hope of your calling for our life. Open the eyes of our inner man that we would see the hope, the hope of your calling for our life that is in Christ Jesus. For that we give you thanks in Jesus' name.